0: Today we explore how the chapter The Return Journey was adapted in the film The Hobbit The Battle of Five Armies. We'll explore how the filmmakers stayed true to Tolkien's work in some ways, but in others deviated significantly, and I'll highlight a storytelling technique that Tolkien uses in The Hobbit, but modern screenwriters are too scared to try. Hit that subscribe or follow button, and if you're loving the show, please share with a friend and leave a review. In doing so, you help more Middle-earth wanderers find the show and explore Middle-earth with you. Now, let's wander. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice, Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours at store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice. In our last comparison of the book-to-movie adaptation, we left off around the 1 hour and 40 minute mark of the extended edition of The Battle of Five Armies. The scene depicts Thorin and his loyal supporters charging towards Azog on the hill, but the similarities between the book's plot and the film's sequence become almost non-existent. Some critics have accused J.R.R. Tolkien of glorifying war and violence through his works. This accusation, however, appears quite unfounded when we consider the context of Tolkien's own experiences. Having lived through the horrors of World War I and sending his own sons to fight in World War II, Tolkien understood the grim realities of conflict all too well. His perspective on war wasn't one of glorification, but rather a recognition of its often necessary role in opposing the darkness and malevolence that threatened to overrun the world. Faramir's poignant words in The Two Towers encapsulate this sentiment. I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. While Tolkien's works don't romanticize war and violence, they do highlight the imperative of standing up against evil. This on-screen adaptation, however, pushes the boundaries of what we typically expect from a Lord of the Rings film. These scenes actually earned the movie its first and only R rating due to the intense violence and gore depicted. The gruesomeness reaches its peak during the goat sled sequence where heads and body parts of orcs and trolls meet a gruesome fate. Amidst the heroic sacrifices of the dwarves and the overall intensity of the battle, the film takes a peculiar turn with the character Alfred. Dressed in women's clothing, he flees the battlefield laden with stolen gold. His choice of a hiding spot on a catapult within an active war zone, while Gandalf battles a troll nearby, raises eyebrows. In a strange twist of fate, Alfred inadvertently aids Gandalf by launching himself into the troll's mouth, saving the wizard. The inclusion of this subplot, and its relevance to the story's progression, is to me a puzzling decision, perhaps explaining its presence in only the extended edition. Thranduil's mourning of elvish lives lost serves as a fitting tribute to the sentiment in the book that, quote, many a fair elf that should have lived yet long ages merrily in the wood. After a considerable hiatus, Bilbo makes a reappearance. Yeah, remember him, the titular hobbit? You might be forgiven for almost forgetting about him, considering it's been over 10 minutes since he last appeared on screen. Then Legolas resurfaces, informing Gandalf about the approaching Second Army from Gundabad. Curiously, this so-called Second Army is actually the only army mentioned in the Hobbit book. This discrepancy underlines the significant liberties taken in adapting the text for the screen. Then Bilbo demonstrates his growth and loyalty by choosing to warn Thorin of the impending danger. This decision echoes his self-introduction from the chapter as Thorin's companion, but it also signifies his transformation from a timid hobbit who relied solely on Gandalf's guidance to someone who now follows his own convictions. Throughout these sequences, keen-eyed viewers will catch echoes of memorial moments from the Fellowship of the Ring movie. The resounding drums in the deep and the illuminating caves recall the haunting Moria sequence, while Bilbo's stone-throwing and the lone defender against the invading orc company hearken back to Boromir's brave stand to protect Merry and Pippin. And so the battle drags on, and on, and on. As the film continues, we witness the culmination of battles and personal struggles. Feely meets his demise. Kili, Tauriel, and Legolas each have their own intense encounters with Bolg, and Legolas's gravity-defying stunts add a touch of the fantastical, you might say, to the chaos. Florin's ongoing duel with Azog stands as one of the longest confrontations in the film. But as the tension reaches its peak, the moment of U catastrophe arrives with the sudden appearance of the Eagles and the formidable intervention of Beorn. In this decisive turn the second orc army is obliterated, bringing a sense of hope to the beleaguered battlefield. I distinctly recall my experience in the theater while watching this film for the very first time, bearing in mind that it was the theatrical version and not even the extended one. By the time this segment of the film arrived, I was already feeling a sense of fatigue. I found myself wondering, is this movie ever going to end? As a dedicated Lord of the Rings enthusiast like myself, I felt overwhelmed at this juncture. I can only imagine how much more overwhelming it must have been for those who held a slightly lesser affection for the Legendarium than I did. When Thorin orchestrates Aslog's descent into the icy depths, I was taken aback by the clever twist. It briefly crossed my mind that the filmmakers might have chosen a major departure from the book by allowing Thorin to survive. Such a change could have significantly impacted the narrative, perhaps even more than the Tariel-Keeley romance. Yet my initial surprise was swiftly replaced by disbelief, as Azog resurfaces from the ice, prolonging the fight even further. I also recall thinking, man, is this guy ever going to die? Then the combatants each get their final strikes in, and at last Azog meets his defeat. A departure from the book becomes evident as Bilbo discovers Thorne on the battlefield rather than encountering him within a tent afterwards. Nevertheless, the essence of their parting as friends remains intact, featuring lines extracted from the book with subtle tweaks. It is Thorne who imparts a crucial insight from the story, Quote, If more people valued home above gold, this world would be a merrier place. In this alteration, the screenwriters distill Tolkien's ideas of food, cheer, and song, into the single word, home. While this adaptation seems reasonable, considering Tolkien's mastery of word selection, I'd personally have preferred to retain his original phrasing. An intriguing detail emerges during the farewell exchange between Legolas and Thranduil, wherein Thranduil alludes to a young ranger in the north known as Strider. We are aware that this ranger is Aragorn, who, during the events of The Hobbit, is a mere ten years old. The question arises, Can will truly depict that Aragorn will become a great man with just that much time elapsed? Perhaps only the foresight of the elves can account for such a prediction. Gandalf finally makes his appearance with Bilbo atop the hill. This prompts me to question why Gandalf didn't personally venture up the hill to forewarn Thorin. Strangely, Gandalf maintains a somewhat peripheral role in the battle, which, upon reflection, aligns with the narrator's portrayal of Gandalf's actions in the original chapter. Thorin is laid to rest beneath the mountain, with the arkenstone and stone and the elvish blade adorning his body. In the book, Bard the Man and the Elven King place these gifts on Thorin, symbolizing the unity of these races against the forces of evil. Yet, the film subtly shifts this symbolism. With Bard and his people in the distance sounding their horns, and the Elven King having already departed, the film alters the meaning. This is not the tale of good peoples of Middle-earth joining together by the action of a little hobbit to fight evil. No, this is the tale of a dwarf who reclaimed his homeland, even if it cost him his life. Bilbo's parting words to the dwarves closely mirror his lines from the book, showcasing the profound transformation he underwent and the deepening of his friendship with the dwarves. And now at the 2 hour and 24 minute mark, a full 45 minutes from where we began, this chapter's adaptation draws to a close. But before we conclude, I'd like to highlight a storytelling technique that appears to have faded from the repertoire of modern writers. Yet, Tolkien employs it skillfully, even with a children's tale. We'll delve into that right after this brief intermission. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. And here's the best part your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Welcome back. For a narrative to truly captivate us, to transport us into its realm, and to make us emotionally invested in a way that resonates deeply, it needs to incorporate several pivotal elements. Among these are relatable characters and the presence of challenges and adversities. However, one of the most critical elements is the existence of genuine stakes. In other words, the consequence of characters' decisions must carry weight, and the potential ramifications could be severe. One of the most potent ways to illustrate this is through character deaths. Now, I'm not an avid fan of Game of Thrones, which might come as a surprise. I've had minimal exposure to the TV show and haven't read a single word from the books. Nevertheless, a recurring theme associated with the show is the willingness of its creators to eliminate major characters, even those cherished by fans. I propose that this might be one reason, among others, for the show's immense popularity. The narrative truly moved audiences, prompting them to question, who is going to die next? Viewers had to tune in to ensure the survival of their beloved heroes. The stakes were palpable, and the consequences felt genuine. However, in many contemporary shows, writers seem reluctant to assign tangible consequences to their characters' actions. This reluctance leads to a lack of meaning in characters' decisions and actions. And when there's no inherent meaning or actual stakes, the story falls flat. It might provide momentary entertainment or serve as a quick financial gain for studios. I mean, who's going to kill Captain America when you can make five more movies about him? But it lacks the ability to profoundly affect us or linger in our minds, an essence that Tolkien would describe as enchantment. Consider Star Wars, for instance. Being struck by a lightsaber once held immense significance. It used to mean something. A single blow at Obi-Wan vanishes to death. A lightsaber thrust to the abdomen, and Qui-Gon's fate was sealed. However, this isn't the case anymore anyone can be struck by a lightsaber in any manner and somehow survive. In fact, falling down a pit in the Star Wars galaxy practically guarantees a character's survival. I challenge you to name a character who fell down a pit and actually died. And to preempt any objections from diehard fans, Darth Maul survived his fall into the pit, so that example doesn't count. And neither does Boba Fett. Even the Star Trek franchise has succumbed to this trend. How often have Picard, or Data, or any of the other characters died, only to be resurrected in some way? In the final episode of Star Trek, Picard's third season, when Riker exchanged a certain look with Troy before transporting over to the Borg ship, I thought, he's gonna die, he's gotta die, somebody has to die. But no, he survives, everyone survives, nobody dies. As dire as the situation may seem, the heroes emerge victorious without a scratch, This approach cheapens the entire narrative because the stakes aren't real. There's no genuine danger. Now, let's circle back to the world of Lord of the Rings, particularly the first season of The Rings of Power. What were the tangible consequences of the character's decisions? Were any of the main characters at risk of death? There was a moment when Bronwyn, the healer from the Southlands, appeared to be in danger of dying, but she survives. Galadriel, a character of central importance never truly faces any substantial peril. She's pretty much awesome all the way through. Her brother, Finrod, perishes, but he only appeared in a couple of scenes. Even the decision to compress the timeline, squeezing thousands of years into a handful of years, demonstrates a lack of appreciation for the themes of death and immortality that often permeate Tolkien's work. Now I understand that character deaths aren't the sole method to infuse a story with meaning or authentic stakes. Yet it's worth acknowledging that even in The Hobbit, a tale he intended for children, Tolkien employed character deaths to add depth. The deaths of Thorin, Fili, and Kili imbue the story with greater significance. Even the Fellowship of the Ring sees the demise of Gandalf and Boromir, while the return of King witnesses Théoden's and Smeagol's passings. The finality of death, especially when it arises indirectly from characters' decisions, imparts a sense of meaning and depth to stories, a quality that is grossly absent from many contemporary stories. So, bring on more Tolkien. Well, Wanderers, there you have it, the conclusion of this episode's exploration into the cinematic adaptation of The Battle of the Five Armies. As we've dissected the differences between the book and the film, we've uncovered various choices made by the filmmakers. Some align with Tolkien's themes and intentions, while others depart significantly the portrayal of war, the preservation of Tolkien's meaningful dialogue, the use of character deaths to convey real stakes, are just a few aspects that have come under our critical lens. We have just one chapter of The Hobbit left to explore, and we'll get to that next time. Until then, may your path be lit with the wisdom of elves and the courage of the dwarves. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice, Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.